Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. Every week we've started with this text from 2 Corinthians 5.17, and it's kind of our key text, captures where we're going, and I want to read it to you. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away, behold, the new has come. And I've asked you this question every week, and that question is simply, has this scripture been your experience in your life? Are you new yet? Has something happened in your life when you encountered Jesus Christ and His gospel is good news? Did something happen inside of you that changed you? Did something move you within, even if a little bit? And it's a really important question, not just for people that came out of really, you know, drug addiction issues like me, but even for people who grew up in the church their whole life and and have had, you know, a pretty good life, been pretty good people. It's really important that you encounter the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. More important that you encounter Jesus Christ, right? Because the gospel comes with Him. He is the personification of good news. And last week, we talked about the reality of what happened to us when we are converted. One of the things that happened to us is we exchanged our old, dead sinful life for a new life. We received the life, the resurrection life of Jesus Christ Himself. That the very Spirit that raised Him out of the grave moved into us and took up residence within us. And He got our old, selfish, corrupted, and decaying life. I think that's a pretty good exchange, don't you? Hello? Okay. Talk back to me a little bit, okay? The key text last week was Galatians 2.20. It says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh or in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That's truly good news. So once again, if you're a follower of Jesus... You have exchanged your old life, which was crucified with Jesus, for a new life, which is the very life of the risen Christ Himself. But, can you say but? This is the place where we place the big but. But, many people wonder why it still seems so hard to walk in the victory of Jesus after they've believed in Him. Questions like this, if I'm new... Why is it still so hard to overcome certain sins, behaviors, habits, and addictions? Anybody ever ask those questions? Sometimes it can lead to us doubting our very salvation experience or living under constant guilt, shame, and condemnation. Today I want to share a how-to message, a how-to message on how to prepare ourselves for the long battle ahead of us in our war against evil and sin. And I have to tell you that I don't often, I don't like to do too many how-to messages. And the reason that I don't is because 
God's work in your life is so unique to you. I'm not saying there aren't principles in the Scripture that all of our lives kind of align to, but God's work in your life is so unique, and we have to be very careful that we don't take our own journey with Christ and how His grace has worked in our life and kind of lay that over other people's lives as the template and require them to look like our life looks with Him. Amen? So I'm always a little nervous about how-to messages because I don't want to take the gospel and just boil it down to a set of principles and and have us miss the person of Jesus Christ. But I got this message. This is really cool. I'll tell you this. I was, Wednesday is my sermon preparation day and I was at home on Wednesday and I was showering. I know this is an intimate moment. Don't use your imaginations. Um, I was showering, and in the middle of showering, I felt like this message dropped in my mind. All the points of it. And I'm like, oh, i got to hurry up and dry and get out of the shower so I can grab my cell phone. I took my phone out, and I, I put on my, you know, um, what's it called, my, my voice memo app. And I just began to speak the things that were coming to me. And so I, I kind of felt like the Holy Spirit dropped something in my heart for you, specifically for this message. Because I don't want, listen, as I preach about being new and being changed and being transformed, I don't want you to get the idea that that means that, you know, suddenly no more struggles. It's all good. And if that isn't your experience, that somehow you're really a loser, failure Christian, because you're not. But there are some weapons that God wants to give you. Some weapons to wage a war against sin and evil and darkness. And I want to share some of those with you today. Does that make sense? So I hope that you'll grasp the amazing grace and love of God for you, and today you'll come away with a new confidence that you can win this war and ultimately triumph over whatever it is that plagues you in your walk with Christ. So my first point today, it's not not one of my weapons, but my first point is let's do a reality gut check. There is a long war ahead of you to conquer sin and evil. Let's settle that. Let let me just tell you something right now. Now, some of you, you're like, well, well, the Bible says it's finished. Jesus already gave us the victory. Our victory is in Christ. It's already been done. And I agree with all of those statements. Yes, 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 yes. But it's still up to us to apply the victory of Christ in our life. Amen. And you know as well as I do that sometimes that's a struggle. Sometimes it's a battle. And we have to recognize that as long as we're in these bodies, until the resurrection, until we go to be with the Lord... Until we go to be in the presence of the Lord, we have a war in front of us. We have a battle in front of us. And we can do this battle joyfully, and we can be assured of this. Let me tell you, we can be assured of this. You are guaranteed victory. That's the best part. So the first point I want to kind of under this, the first thing I want to show you in Scripture is Galatians 5, 16, and 17. Look at it with me. So Paul writing, this is the New Living Translation, he says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. How many of you know if you stopped right there, it'd be like, sounds easy, doesn't it? Sounds easy. But then look what he says. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is this, just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires, notice that, gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other 
so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Now, let me say something. Paul's not saying you don't have the ability to carry out your good intentions, but he's saying when you go to carry out your good intentions, you're always going to be faced with the conflict. Your life won't be free on this side of eternity from the battle. The conflict will be there. There's a war going on inside of you. There are two natures warring against one another. Now listen, this is really important for you to understand. A person who hasn't been born again is operating only under the power of the sinful nature. If you haven't put faith in Christ yet, if you don't know Him yet, and you haven't been regenerated by the Holy Spirit working inside of you, you're still under the power of the sin nature. Though there is a built-in spiritual element within human beings, it is darkened by original sin and not alive to God. Does that make sense? A certain hunger still exists within us for spiritual experiences, but without divine intervention, that spiritual element remains dead. It's like we're a heater element or a light bulb that's not plugged in. We have the spiritual equipment within us, but it's not plugged into the source, which is God Himself. So it's dead. Now, I have a little illustration that's a very obvious one, but I have a bulb right here. And this bulb has contained within it all of the science of Thomas Edison, right? Thank you, Thomas Edison and others who worked with him. But this bulb right here has everything in it to light up a small corner of a room except power, except the life, except what it actually takes to bring light. This is like us apart from Christ. We still have the elements available, as it were. Now, I'm, they're, they're fallen, they're darkened, they're sinful, but it's there. There is a built-in thing in human beings that's been created for union with God and spiritual experiences. But because of sin and the fall, it's always twisted, and it always turns toward idolatry, self-worship, the worship of pleasure, whatever it may be, money, sex, we have this thing, that, that's why we're moving all the time toward addictive behaviors. There's something in us that knows we were created to be devoted to something and to worship something. But without the life of God connecting to it, it's dead. And it always comes out in unhealthy and wrong ways. Does that make sense? But then what happens is we come to faith in Jesus Christ and we get connected to the source, and as we get connected to the source, the life of God comes into us, right? Now, this, this light bulb, nothing changed about what was built into it, what it was made for, right? Except it was plugged into actual life and power, and that's what happens to us when we're born again. That's what happens to us when we're changed. But here's something that's really important for us to understand, even though that happens, the sinful nature is still resident in our bodies and parts of our minds. And that's what the Bible calls the flesh in some translations, the sinful nature, the carnal nature. And that those carnal, selfish appetites war in our minds and our bodies. It's the thing within us that's always craving, unsatisfied, empty, lusting, coveting, unhappy. It's always fighting for its way. It's that thing inside of us that says, mine. 
No, I want it. It's that thing inside of us that is sneaking and conniving behind the scenes to get its way. It's that thing inside of us that manipulates. It's that thing inside of us that explodes in a burst of anger and wrath at people. It's that thing inside of us that moves us toward behaviors that make us feel ashamed. But then, if you're a Christian, if you come to know Christ in a real way, there's a spirit nature within you. Not the spiritual, I'm not using the term spiritual, I'm using the spirit, holy spirit nature. When a person's born again, they're plugged into the source and their inner person that was made for union with God comes alive and turns on. And the new spirit nature is then filled with the Holy Spirit himself and has his desires. So suddenly you have this desire for love and grace and holiness and obedience to God and good works and selfless love, and prayer, and a hunger for the scripture to know more about God. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit begins to grow in your life. And and you have these two things battling inside you. And yet, many times, we fall to the old, and we give in to the old, and that's where we begin to question Am I really a Christian? Did I really get saved? What's wrong with me? Why do I continue to go back to it? And if you don't understand that you have weapons and tools, because I find that God's people perish for a lack of knowledge more than anything else, right? Many times, I mean, knowledge of God. A lot of times we don't realize that, you know, we're sons and daughters, we're, we're living in the king's kingdom. We have all this ability to access The power of the Spirit, the Word of God, the fellowship of the body of Christ, wisdom. We have all this ability to access these things, but we don't realize it's right there. And so we miss out on what God has for us. And I want to share with you today six weapons. I call them the re-weapons, R-E, weapons to conquer with. So I'm going to take you through those, and I'm going to have to move quickly. So number one is revive your courage for a long-term battle. Revive your courage for a long-term battle. Some of you need to be revived in your courage. You have lost heart. You've just about given up. You've just about quit. You've bought the lie. You don't have it in you anymore. You don't have what it takes. You don't have the strength or the courage to win. And I want to tell you today, it's time for you to revive your courage. You have what it takes inside of you. Now look at this with me. Proverbs 24, 16 says this, For the righteous falls seven times and rises again. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. I I, I think that's an amazing scripture. It doesn't say, for the righteous never fall. And have their act together. But the wicked, right, they stumble in times of calamity. It says, the righteous falls seven times. And seven times isn't like, you know, the end of, it's it's not like he's saying, and on the eighth time. No, he's, he's using the term seven. It's a number of completion and perfection. The idea is, righteous people fall a lot. But they get back up. They get back up. But 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 they get back up. 
I'm not going to break out in a rap, don't worry. At times we're going to fall. I don't say this to make you want to give up. I just, I want you to know that in battle you can be tripped up or knocked down. Right? You can be in a battle. You can be surrounded on every side. It seems like it's overtaking you and you're not going to win and you fall on your face. I'm going to tell you, if you stay down there, you could die. But if you get back up and take up your sword... You get back up and you run to the cross. You get back up and you go to redemption. You get back up and you run to Jesus. See, it says, and rises again. Get up after you fall. Get up after you fall. Get up after you fall. Get up. Get up. Get up. Get up now. That was seven times, by the way. Every time you get up, you win. Every time you return to the foot of the cross and claim the sacrifice of Jesus for your sin and your failure, you win. So you failed in the same sin a thousand times. Get up and claim the cross. Ask God to rescue you. Seek Him for a changed heart and changed desires, but get up. You see, here's what our age tells us. Here's what I should say our conscience tells us. Here's what old dead religion tells us. You've fallen again. You're down here on the ground. And it says this to you. Stay down there for a few days. Crawl around on your knees. Grovel. Beat yourself up. Shed a little blood as it were. Make sure your knees are good and scraped up and beat yourself a bit. Put yourself down and convince yourself you're the worst piece of dirt that's ever lived. Stay down there a while and pay for your own sin. And then God will see it. He'll know you feel really bad. And after you've felt bad long enough, God will finally forgive you and love you. Right? Because what do we do when we sin? We hide. We go duck behind a tree. We find some fig leaves and tie them on. And God comes to us going, where are you? Your fig leaves, they don't cover. I see right through them. You need the covering of a sacrifice. You need blood. Oh, my son already provided that. Oh, are you trying to add to what Jesus did for you? Are you trying to help out the cross? Are you trying to grovel it down in your self-salvation project and feel bad long enough to pay for your sin? Stop it. That stuff stinks to me. I hate it. It gags me. But my cross, my son, what he did, run to the cross over and over and over again. A thousand times go a thousand one. But get up. Amen? You see, there's, there's a principle in the Scripture, and I, I've, I've always loved this text, but the Old Testament provides examples for us, pictures for us. And There's this story with the nation of Israel. You might remember they, they were in Egypt for 400 years, and God brought them out by you know, Moses with signs and wonders and miracles, and then they go into the desert for 40 years, and then they come up to the Promised Land, and they cross over to the Promised Land, and they win a big battle at Jericho. And the walls come down and they conquer and they're about to go into their land and start to conquer the land. And Exodus 23 says this, and this is an example for our, our personal life in Christ. Verse 29 says, and I will not drive them out before you in one year, 
lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and possessed the land. What's the principle? You can't conquer all your enemies in a short time. Little by little, you drive them out. I've often thought it's interesting that they came to Jericho first because Jericho would have been one of the greatest and the mightiest cities, if not the greatest and the mightiest. The first battle was the greatest one. And you would think after that that God would just go, okay, you know, just going to wipe out the whole land and it's done. And he tells them, no, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be a process. And the same principle applies to us. You know, we, we oftentimes have these huge victories at the beginning of our conversion. But then we realize, whoa, the other stuff's hanging around. I told you last week, you know, I had this really dramatic conversion when I came to Christ. And my pattern is not everybody's pattern, but I was delivered from all substances almost instantly. So I was smoking and drinking and, and drugging and doing it all, and it all went away from me. I, didn't, I lost even desire for it. But there were other things that took a long time. They took a, and they're still taking time, right? Little by little, not in one year. This is an interesting thing from an a author and speaker, Greg, and then a long Greek last name that I won't try to pronounce. On WGN Radio News, he said this, researchers have discovered certain people are genetically destined to excel in athletics. According to their studies, the ACE gene is longer in athletes than in those who are not agile, fast, or well-coordinated in their movements. Researchers also observe that people who are born with a longer ACE must work out to take advantage of their hereditary advantage. Similarly, those who receive Christ are capable of a life of spiritual victory. When we become a Christian and receive the Holy Spirit, we have the power to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. But as with those genetically predisposed to athletic success, we must work out for it to work out. Right? We have to practice the, the, with the weapons that He's given us. Does that make sense? Secondly, y- y- y'all, y'all good? Okay, secondly, I've already given you the first one, right? Revive your courage. Here's the second one. Remember yourself that you are new. Remember yourself that you are new. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 18. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know Him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, the new life has begun, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. So what's Paul saying? Stop evaluating yourself and others from a merely human point of view. We have to be intentional about remembering and reminding ourselves that we are new. Like a coach reminding a player player that his failures don't define him, we must remind ourselves that being a son or daughter is what defines us, not our sin or failure. I'm a football lover, most of you know that. I love Russell Wilson, quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. Amen? Go Russ. Russ ends every interview with, go Hawks! Right? And one of the things I love about Russell Wilson that defines him, it's part of his character, is that he recovers from his failures immediately. I mean, it's amazing, yeah. Athletic amnesia. 
you'll see the guy throw an interception. Go back, throw an interception. A few weeks ago, he threw an interception that was run back for a pick six touch, touchdown. And I, I watched the guy. He's walking over to the sideline after doing it, and he's going just like this. That's on me. Sorry, guys, that's on me. And then he's giving everybody high five. We'll get him next time. An incredible ability to recover because he knows who he is. He knows that he's not defined by an interception. He knows, he, well, he's a Christian. He knows he's a child of God. He's not a failure. He may fail, but he's not a failure. He's a child of God. He knows he's an elite level quarterback. We make mistakes. I make a lot more touchdowns than I do interceptions. So I'm getting back up and I'm getting back at it. He reminds himself, if you belong to Christ, listen, you've become a new creation. The old is gone. The new has begun. You need to take this text of scripture and memorize it. Meditate it. Get it into your life. And every time you begin to hear that accusation come along, reminding you of your past failure, reminding you of what you did last night or yesterday or six months ago or 25 years ago, some of you today are still being defined by failures in your life 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 20 years ago. That's still got you. And I want to tell you, that's not who you are. Remind yourself. Amen? Remember. You're new. The next one is remind yourself that the great one lives in you. 1 John 4, 4 and 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says this, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people. Now, the people were false teachers who were teaching that Jesus wasn't the key. He wasn't it. He wasn't the Messiah. And he says, because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Look at 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? I have a question. Who in here believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Keep your hand up for a minute. Look at your hand. You looking? It's a cool hand, isn't it? Just look at it. Keep it up there. I know this is awkward. Some of you are like, ah, this is weird. Keep it up there. And then say this with me. I overcome the world because I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I overcome. Now say this with me. Greater is the Spirit in me than the Spirit that lives in the world. Do you believe it? See, a lot of times, we'll, I'll do a sermon like this, someone will preach like this, and we'll get inspired in the moment, and we'll walk out the door and we'll forget it. We'll forget it. And as soon as an accusation comes to remind us of our past sin and failure, we'll be, yeah, it's true, I'm a low down, no good scody dode. And we think, you know, that that's humble. I'm not, I'm not any good, no, I kind of suck, yeah. And we think that's humility. No, it's not. You're disparaging the work of Jesus Christ. You're not calling what God calls beautiful and redeemed and restored and an overcomer and victorious in Him. You're not, you're not saying about you what God says about you. Am I talking to anybody? You see, you have a, a spirit in you. 
And that spirit in you is the Holy Spirit. And he's called the helper. Look at John 14, 16, and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Listen, when you feel like you're being pushed and you're being pressured and you're gonna, you, you might crack under the pressure, you need to say, Holy Spirit of God within me, help me. And he will help you. I thought it was a good point. Takes me to number four. Renew your mind. Renew your mind. Meditate and memorize your victory. Meditate and memorize your victory. Look at Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The scripture says don't be conformed. It means pressed into the mold of the world. What's the world? When we see the word world in the New Testament, what is it? It's the spirit of our age. It's a word that means the systems that are arrayed against God. It's a word that means those value systems out there that are going against what the Scripture teaches. We live in an age and a time when there is a system, and that system is hitting us night and day from the moment you rise up in the morning and you look at your phone or turn on the TV or drive down the road and see a billboard or go into a store and see a magazine or listen to the radio or a podcast. It's always pressing on you. It's always pushing on you. It's always taking your brain and trying to get that brain to go into a mold that is completely the antithesis of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. So how do we beat that? We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And in order for our minds to be renewed, we have to be in this book, right? And before God's face, and as we're before his face and as we're looking, we're beholding him in here, we're being changed. I'm getting ahead of myself. Look at Ephesians 4, 21 through 24. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deceit. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on a new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Do you know that your nature in Christ is righteous and holy? That's who you really are. That's the true you. That's the true you. The only way to, be, to not be conformed to our world is to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We have to let the Spirit work in us and renew our minds. He uses God's Word to teach us differently. And one of the ways that we overcome and we renew our minds is we meditate in and memorize the scripture. Now, what does it mean to meditate on the scripture? It means to take sections of the Bible, texts from the Bible, and to put it before our face, to read it, to pray it, to think on it, to deepen ourselves in the study of it, to even bring it before God and say, God, show me what this means. And then we memorize it, we get it in us, we chew on it, we, we consider it, we ponder what it means for our lives. We roll it over and over and over in our hearts and our minds. We put it before us. And here's what we do. If you're besetting sin, 
is anger, for instance. If anger is your area of weakness, if you're flying off the handle all the time, if you're a yeller, if you're angry all the time, if people cut you off in traffic and you flip them a bird and you say words you shouldn't and then you're like, Jesus, I'm sorry. You know, if, if that kind of stuff comes out of you, you have to be renewed in the spirit of your mind in the area of anger. So what do you do? You go study what the scripture teaches about anger and wrath and then what it teaches about the opposites of those things, gentleness, kindness, patience, right? Um, you, you go to the area of your weakness and you learn first what the true ugliness of it is. Quit trying to justify it. Quit trying to, I, yeah, I struggle with a little bit of anger. Yeah, I wonder if that's true. I'll ask your wife or your husband or your children what that little bit of anger looks like, how it's affected them, how it's wounded them and pushed them down and broken them. I'm not saying that to condemn you. I'm saying that because you need to understand the ugliness of it. You have to see what the Bible teaches about anger and wrath coming out of a human being, what it does, right? But then you see, but Christ has conquered it with his love, with his gentleness, with his kindness. Is your area lust? You got a porn problem? You can't get away from that computer screen or off your phone? You've seen that stuff all the time and it's got you? It's got you by the throat and it tells you what to do and you obey it? Then go and study what the scripture teaches about sexual immorality and the judgment that will come upon sexual immorality. Go and look at what the scripture teaches about purity of mind and purity of heart and God cleansing you and washing you and making you new. It'll be a long battle. It could take years. But I'm telling you what, you're going to win. But understand it. Dig into it. Meditate in it. Get somebody to help you. Am I talking to anybody? All right. I got to hurry. Ugh. Number five, refocus. Refocus your gaze. Look at Jesus in nature, word, and in prayer. Look at Jesus. One of my favorite texts in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's kind of a life text this is from the Christian Standard Bible. It says, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. As we look at Jesus in focused attention, He changes us to be like Him. Now, hear this. You know, there's a really key principle in the Bible, and it's the idea that whatever you spend time beholding, whatever you spend your time looking upon, is what changes you. And it's true in all of our lives. You just think about it. What you focus on is where you end up changing to, what you end up changing to. And so if you, for instance, let, let's say, how do, how, what does this look like practically? Maybe you don't know the Bible real well or you don't have a real clear picture of who Jesus is. Here's, here's a, a little assignment for you. Over the next year, read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just read them over and over and over again. And read them slow. Don't get in a hurry. Don't be like, I got to get in my five chapters today. No, just, you know, if, if you get three verses into Matthew 21 and those three verses are like, wow, I never saw that before. Take some time and say, Lord, what are you trying to show me in this? What are you saying to me? What are you doing in me? And as you look at Jesus in the pages of Scripture and you behold him, you start to be changed into his own image. It's like a mirror. and starts to transform and you become like him. And lastly, repair, 
your heart in confession and community. James 5.16 says this, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but wait, there's more, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Matthew 18, 21 through 22, then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Another translation, another part of the scripture says 70 times seven. Jesus is using hyperbole, exaggeration. Why? He's making the point. doesn't matter how many times your brother sins against you, you forgive him. Now, if the God that created us calls us to forgive each other in an unlimited number of times, what do you think He does for us? What do you think? He does the same thing and more. He has an unlimited supply of forgiving mercy and grace. We just avail ourselves of it, right? And it's interesting here. It says we need, you see, we need each other. As we confess our sins to God and each other and pray for each other, healing life flows into us and we're strengthened for future battles. We need each other to confess and to and pray for. When a church family is safe enough, enough to confess our sins and weaknesses to, God can bring great healing to our lives. This kind of community is a key to conquering the old sinful nature. I want to tell you, we need each other. And I'll, I'll tell you, if, if this is sad, but many times churches are the last place a person would consider confessing their sins. And they should be the first place. You know, you need friends in this room who you trust enough to share your ugliest stuff with. And if you're that friend, you need to not act all shocked and self-righteous when they share it with you. Because you'll probably do the same thing or something worse the next day, right? We need those kinds of relationships. And here's what it says happens. If, I, if I've sinned and I confess my sins to Drew, and then Drew prays for me, the damage that the sin did to me, it's healed. You see, sin is self-harm. You realize that? We talked today about people doing self-harm, cutting themselves and other types of things. Here's the reality. When you sin... You do self-harm. You damage your own soul. So what does the gospel do? The gospel makes it possible for a brother or sister to pray for you and healing life to flow where the wound has happened from your own sin. You're healed. You're restored. That's good news. Am I still talking to somebody? Hello? Right? He's promised to forgive us and to cleanse us if... Jesus calls us to forgive each other countless times. How much more will God forgive us? And I'm, I'm, I'm ending on that last point because sometimes I think we Christians forget how powerful confession is. We forget how healing it is. I've, I've had times in my life when I felt like I, I, I knew I'd already confessed my sins to God and I knew He'd forgiven me. 
But I had this sense, I need to tell somebody. I need to tell somebody, not just for accountability's sake, but I, I don't know, I, I, I need someone else. And God's designed the body of Christ that way, where we need each other. And I've gone to a person, I sat down with him, and I remember, you know, my heart's beating fast, my face is flushing, I'm on the edge of just like, I don't want to be rejected, I'm, I'm praying they're not going to think less of me, and I confess my sin to him, and they say, oh, bro, man, I get it, you know, let's pray together. They pray for me, and every time, I say, all that stuff just lifts off of me. I come away healed, restored, renewed, realizing the gospel is just as powerful as when I first believed. We need each other. Confession, community, that's how we heal, we repair our hearts. Some of you, you haven't confessed your sins to someone else in so long, you forgot what it's like. You forgot that's even in the Bible, but that's a part of New Testament Christianity. Some people say, well, I don't need, you know, I came out of Catholicism and we had to confess to the priest. I don't need another human being to, to confess to to be forgiven. Amen. I agree with you. You have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We know the scripture teaches that. And yet the scripture also tells us to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. Was, was James Roman Catholic? I'm saying this because some of you are hung up on that kind of stuff. No, James was an apostle, and he tells us, confess your sins to one another. It's in the Bible. Hello? It's in the Bible, right? And so we confess our sins to one another, and we pray for one another that we may be healed. That might be the key right now in your life to the Lord healing and restoring you. Why don't you stand up with me?